In a land that time forgot, nothing stands still. Power sets the rules, but magic bends them. Twin suns cast shadows on a fallen empire, and battles rage under the stars. From the director of the four-hour workweek comes a tale of adventure, intrigue, and ancient mysteries. The legend of Cock Punch! In the Eightfold Arena, anything can happen, and everything can change. To know 10,000 things, know one well. The first precept of Shinmen Takezo, one of the eight patron saints of House Amegawa. Dragons don't bark. Warning inscription on the mainland archway of the Bridge of Ten. There is only one clear way to and from House Amegawa. The Odoroki Bashi. This brilliant red bridge starts at the northern edge of the island stronghold of Amakawa, and it slowly arches up to the southern high cliff entrance point of the free trade zone, roughly 750 feet above the crashing waves below. The Odoroki Bashi is more commonly known as the Bridge of Ten Terrors, or the Bridge of Ten as it became known after the fall of the Alcedonians and House Hallux. The Amikawans were the only clan to hold off the invading forces of General Tentakis, and the related history has become legend. Rather than burn the bridge connecting them to the mainland, the Amikawan leaders gathered 20% of their most capable warriors. This elite group then committed ritual suicide while one rogue archmage from the Dalamai infused the bridge with the collective life force of the Kada, creating a halo of magical protection said to last at least 100 generations. The generals of House Hallux viewed this all as superstition. They pushed their troops forth on one fated December 5th, a day now celebrated as the Day of Darkus by most of Valata. The Bridge of Ten is two miles long and twenty feet across at its widest. On that day, at 5.55 in the morning, the remaining soldiers of Amakawa had assembled in formation roughly half a mile from their island gate and drawbridge. By 8 a.m., roughly 1,000 of the best of House Hallux had reached the midpoint of the Bridge of Ten, including dozens of aristocratic dignitaries expecting a ceremonial surrender from the Amekawans. There they paused. At 8.30 a.m., Lord Mainoumi of the Amekawans, dressed in black armor and kabuto helmet, rode forth on his warhorse to 100 yards from the front line of House Hallux, dismounted and bowed deeply. He then removed a large satchel from his saddle and spread a thick line of pink salt across the bridge. To the confusion of the Alcedonians, he then remounted his horse and returned to his own forces. Upset by this strange display, the leading Halleck's commander issued a march forward, which was led by his mounted flag-bearer. Once within ten feet of the line of salt, his white horse whinnied and sidestepped, 
The flag bearer kicked him, prodding him on. The horse stepped on the line and then reared up. Even observed from land, it was at this point that all of the air around the Bridge of Ten seemed to shimmer. There was a ripple of pink that travelled like a shockwave from the water up into the sky. Then stillness for a few breaths. Then all hell broke loose. Gigantic waves with frothing fingers, appearing like the talons of a great falcon, crashed upon the Bridge of Ten at its entrance on the mainland, washing a legion of screaming Alcedonians into freefall. In their place, an impenetrable wall of blue flames rose to the clouds. The leading forces of the Amekawans, members of the Order of Onigoroshi, charged towards the panicking forces of House Hallux. Astride horses plated in mithril and wielding long dachi swords with blades of unobtainium, they easily swept through the one hundred Alcedonians closest to them, leaving a wake of dismembered bodies. This deed accomplished, the horsemen turned and galloped back to Lord Minoumi. The bridge-bound Alcedonians were now trapped between fire and bodies of their own dead. Then Darkus came. He was heard before he was seen, a scream that would be described for centuries to come. He appeared to descend directly from a thundercloud above where the pink salt had been placed. Nearly half as long as the bridge and much wider in girth, his snake-like form traced several circles in the sky before diving towards the Alcedonians. A blue flame erupted from the red and white dragon's mouth, engulfing half of their troops. Instead of melting them, it froze them in place, leaving them encased in ice, their terror caught in transparent relief. Of those remaining, some attempted to flee by jumping off the bridge. The dark waters consumed them. The remainder met their deaths on Darkus's second and third passes. Within minutes it was over. Lord Minoumi commanded his troops to return home, leaving the frozen Alcedonians to block any passage over the bridge. The bodies were to remain there for several weeks, suspended in magical ice as a warning. On December 6th, House Halleck's leadership concluded the protection of the Bridge of Ten was not mere superstition. Their strategic command decided to pursue other frontiers until the Amakawans could be revisited. It never happened. To this day, it is considered fact that any non-Amakawan who attempts to cross the Bridge of Ten will face at least ten terrors before getting close to Amakawa itself. Over the years, a few fools have tested this theory and all have perished, usually within 100 feet of the mainland gate. Suffice to say, the Amakawans remain mostly a hidden people, their culture contained on Amakawa itself. But there are at least three things that bring Amakawans off their island. One, Kavothians. Two, trade. Three, alcohol. To produce their finest weapons,
the Amakawans need the ever-fire of the Kavothians. The Kavothians similarly need the various oars and subtle techniques of the Amakawans. In Kappa era 125, long before the Warring States period, Lord Mainoumi of the Amakawa did the unthinkable, which of course is what made him legendary. He travelled deep into House Kavoth to present King Chi'iran, also written King Kirin, two gifts from his own hands. A skegox, or bearded axe, with an everfire-enhanced and magically sealed blade, and a scroll detailing the secret process for making such a miraculous weapon. The third gift is also cited as the most important, the incredible courage that Lord Mainoumi displayed by travelling himself instead of sending emissaries. He also brought only one porter and no guards. So grateful and impressed was King Kirin that he decreed that House Amakawa should never be denied a steady stream of everfire. So their partnership was forged, and unbreakable it became. By virtue of their isolation, the Amakawans have few natural resources and need to trade extensively. As masters of metals, they alone bring the most precious metals and most vicious bladed weapons to the realm. Mount Takagi on Amakawa is rich with mineral mines of all types. There is even an obtainium, but there are no documented cases of Amakawans selling it to non-Amakawans. Mount Takagi and surrounding areas are also heavily terraced with rice paddies and other cereal crops. The Amakawans provide the bulk of grain products to every corner of Valata. Per square kilometre, they have the densest productivity of any clan. But productivity isn't what takes Amekawans en masse to the Pronkin Parlor Tavern in the Free Trade Zone, or to any other pub, alehouse, or watering hole for that matter. Amekawans have a profound attraction to and weakness for alcohol. Their strict social hierarchies are abandoned past a certain point. Whispering turns to unabashed yelling, and things get strange. Everyone near an Amakawan table turned rowdy keeps a special eye on them. The normally reserved Amakawans seem to use it as a release valve, but the release doesn't always stay at one table. Now, it's worth mentioning that there are quite a few happy drunks among the Amakawans, and they love mead pong, especially when real money is at stake. Dr. Kashiwazaki is the current undisputed champion, equally famous for his disguises as he is for his prowess. When sober, the Amakawans also dominate the game of Karikaripo. Amakawans are renowned for their brilliant planning. From their geographic choice of stronghold to the Bridge of Ten, and whether with games, swords or crops, their ability to think several moves ahead is largely what defines them. Strategy of Kawa, strength of Kavoth, 
is a popular expression used if a person displays a rare combination of talents. But all of this forethought seems to exact a cost. Based on popular translations of Jurin no Sho, the Book of Ten Rings, the cost is nothing new. Based on the few Amekawan drinking songs that are ubiquitous enough to be translated, this cost is also nothing small. And here it is. Most Amekawans suffer from chronic anxiety. If House Hallux is the best at complicated logistics, and if the Fae are the best at improvisation, the Amekawans are the best at worst-case scenario planning. Therein lie both superpowers and super-weaknesses. It's hard to have one without the other. This is an old story, but there are older stories of the oldest kind. House Amekawa is also known as the House of Dragons. Legend has it that Amekawa was long ago inhabited by dragons, and that the first Amekawans were born of a sacred union between a dragon king and his queen, a spirit goddess in Amekawan form. To this day, the Amekawans are believed to uphold sacred oaths to the dragons, as well as protect certain hidden treasures bestowed to them by the dragon king. This also explains the glasses. Every schoolchild knows it is near certain death to look any dragon in the eyes. It is similarly believed that to look an Amekawan directly in the naked eye is to risk annihilation. Bursting into flames, freezing into ice, or turning to stone. Those are but three ends mentioned in nursery rhymes. But there are many more. None of them good. Partially to prevent total mayhem, all Amekawans wear shielding glasses in the FTZ or anywhere outside of Amekawa. This isn't entirely a selfless act. Their holy scripture decrees that to use their eyes on non-Amekawans is to risk self-destruction by the same horror they inflict. In Amekawan on Amekawan duels, however, all is fair game. And it's quite the game to behold. Amekawans worry about many things, but death is not one of them. Hence their best-known battle meditation. Focus before fury. Precision before power. And death before dishonor. <laughs> 